G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Last week, the federal government withdrew its religious discrimination bill from the Senate. And right now it appears to be dead in the water, at least until after the upcoming election. The government's own legal advice was reportedly there would be unintended consequences if the package of changes were to be voted into law. Well, Christian schools have been a central focus in the religious freedom debate. If schools are not able to hire staff and teach students according to their biblical Christian ethos, they simply cease to be Christian. One school in Brisbane, the City Point Christian College, became the centre of media attention around a contract between families and the school. And it has triggered a national debate around how Christian schools maintain their ethos, balancing pastoral care issues for students. Well, we're talking Christian schools, Christian leaders and the Christian church today navigating the way forward without the protections offered by the Religious Discrimination Bill. Our special guest today leads the Human Rights Law Alliance, a not-for-profit legal service in the area of freedom of thought, conscience and religion. John Steenhoff is the principal lawyer of the Human Rights Law Alliance and right now he's preparing to address the upcoming Church and State Summit, and he'll be talking through these sorts of issues we'll discuss today, critical issues. John Steenhoff, a special welcome along to 2020. Good morning, Neil. It's uh, a pleasure to be with you here this morning. Uh, John, let's just start our conversation. Some listeners won't be so familiar with the Human Rights Law Alliance. You're based in Canberra. What are the things you do on a day-to-day basis? Thanks, Neil. So Human Rights Law Alliance, we started up in 2019, so we're relatively new on the scene, and we've been set up for the purpose of helping Christians who face hostility in Australian culture. And believe me, this is an issue that's only getting worse, not getting better. Uh, As we see an increasingly secular society, and oftentimes a hostile secular society arising. Uh, Christians are facing pressure in their workplaces, in universities, as they speak in the public square. And we've been set up to try to run the legal cases that arise from these. We are a sister organisation of the Australian Christian Lobby. And it was started up because they were increasingly getting calls from their supporters and from people within the Christian community who were facing uh, discipline, at universities or being uh, having their qualifications removed for statements of their faith, for sharing their beliefs, for standing up for issues of life, of orthodox biblical teachings on sexuality and gender. So we've reacted for a variety of different Christian people all across the states and territories of Australia. And uh, our aim is to try to help them to be able to live biblically, to confidently be able to share their faith and and be Christians in the public square 
without any uh, hostility or without facing uh, legal cases to stop them from doing so. Well, John, when we talk about religious freedom, uh, the need for protections uh, in the Religious Discrimination Bill, you're right there on the coalface. You're the lead lawyer there at the Human Rights Law Alliance, and there have been dozens and dozens of cases where Christians could have called on a little bit of protection under the law on religious discrimination issues here. But you're dealing with these. And in previous conversations, John, we've we've even uh, had a, a conversation basically around uh, who you're going to call, you know, if you get dragged before some sort of tribunal or a court. But dozens of cases, this is, this is a growing number of cases you're dealing with. Yeah, indeed, Neil. So we run a database that we're always adding to at www.australiawatch.com.au. And there we have over 40 documented cases of Christians who faced hostility for their faith. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, because many of our clients, when these uh, issues arise in their workplace or at their universities, and the issues are resolved satisfactorily, there's understandable reasons why those results can't be publicised for someone who has to continue in employment or in university. So over 40 cases, just the tip of the iceberg, and we're seeing more and more cases uh, each and every day. Uh, They vary from uh, a girl called Hannah. Uh, She was banned from a cafe for reading the Bible and praying with a friend. Uh, Cafe staff showed discomfort when they saw her and her friend reading the Bible together. And when they went to pay the bill, the manager confronted them very rudely, accused Hannah of brainwashing, and basically frog-marched them out of the cafe, told them never to come back again. Uh, During the same-sex marriage campaign, there was the, the case of Madeline that got some publicity. She was fired from her job for putting on her own personal Facebook page, it's okay to vote no. Uh, We've acted for university students who complained when a lecturer was promoting Ida Hobbit Day uh, in class and gave a private email to the lecturer, which ended up with her having to sit in front of the head of department and explain why she shouldn't be kicked out of her social work course. So these are real cases of everyday Australian Christians who are facing this hostility, and those are the people that we help. Well, is there, and I'll just ask you your own personal opinion here, is there a fear of being cancelled that you might have noted across the Christian community? Because, you know, taking Hannah at the cafe as an example, uh, Hannah reading her Bible in a cafe, well, some people might say, well, uh, you know, isn't that something you do in your own personal space? Well, it is your personal space if you're sitting at a cafe at a table and you're enjoying a coffee. Uh, what about this fear of being cancelled? Have you had any thoughts about that sort of thing, John? And, you know, even us talking about it might be, even for some, triggering some fears and said, you know, well, uh, I better not do those Christian things out in public. But I imagine that's something we ought to be doing. What about this fear? Yeah, well, Neil, cancel culture is a very real thing. And Christians have been the canary in the coal mine often on this issue. They've been the ones who've been experiencing that cancelling, but it's not just restricted to Christians. It's happening to anyone who deviates from whatever the acceptable social narrative is. And you're seeing it with uh, the, 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 the author of the Harry Potter books. You're seeing it with celebrities who have made uh, statements in the past 
that have not been uh, quite as diplomatic and political as they could have been, uh, maybe some who've engaged in racism. There was Ollie Robinson, the cricketer from England, who they've all faced some form of cancel culture because of the way they've expressed themselves in the past. And Christians have been at the forefront of this. And the important thing is, is that a lot of people think that religious freedom is a narrow issue that only affects Christians, when in fact, when you recognize and have robust protections for freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of association, uh, and particularly for freedom of religion, it's not just good for religious people, it is good for all people, because the first people who are often cancelled for their unacceptable views are those with deeply held religious convictions. And so it's an issue that's not just there for religious people. Uh, right now in society, we have an epidemic of people being cancelled for what they say or what they believe. And oftentimes the law is being utilised to help cancel these people. We've spoken before about, say, Dr. Jareth Cock, the Melbourne doctor, who someone saw his posts on the internet about abortion, about uh, transgenderism and the biblical teachings about biological sex and how God created people. Uh, instead of engaging with Jareth on the internet about these things, an activist complained to the medical board, which resulted in Jareth being suspended from medical practice. So that's the law being used for cancel culture, and we're seeing it in, in an increasing form in Australian society, and it's not a good thing. I think listeners will appreciate uh, the way you use that turn of phrase, an acceptable social narrative. And what we've grown up with and what we've become accustomed to, for those of us who uh, perhaps are, you know, uh, over 40, uh, is that there has been a social narrative which has been accepting of our Christianity, which has been based on uh, those good things that have come out of our Christian foundations, our Christian heritage, our history as Christians. So uh, to actually recognise that there is a changing acceptable social narrative it means that there is a battle on to actually maintain uh, issues around those special ideas that means ordinary Australians won't be cancelled. So for those who are listening in today, whether you're Christian or non-Christian, uh, Lord, uh, look, as, uh, as you're saying, John, uh, every Australian is affected. So do you think every Australian appreciates that, though? It, it seems to be they're in the dark. Neil, the, I think... Australians are becoming more careful and nervous about the things that they say and how they express themselves. So I think people are at least subconsciously uh, self-censoring and recognise that this is a problem, but hoping that they will largely avoid being one of the unfortunate people who get targeted by cancel culture. And there's a few things that are feeding into this culturally. The first of those things is that we have indeed moved away from this concept of particularly Christianity being a good influence in our society. Uh, we now no longer have this recognition of the great services that Christians and Christian organisations have provided to society over time. And it's moved and transitioned from Christianity being a good thing and a good influence in Australian society to it being a kind of strange or indifferent thing, or a, those Christians are weird, uh, but we'll live and let live. 
we're now moving into a frame of thinking that sees Christianity as harmful and dangerous, that it is exclusive in its beliefs, that it is proselytizing, that it's not universally accepting, that it doesn't uh, recognize equality, diversity and inclusion, all of the new uh, buzzwords and values that are becoming prominent in our society. And so Christians are seen as dangerous and their ideas and practices as being potentially harmful to people. And that's tied to this whole uh, rise of the therapeutic self. Our uh, conception of our own goods is tied more and more to mental health and well-being, of not disturbing people's own autonomy of who they are and what they want to be. And it's seen that Christianity is a threat to people's autonomy. And so it's led to an increasing suspicion of religion and religious people. And I think it's the reason why someone who's simply reading a Bible and praying in a cafe is uh, something that provokes discomfort and uh, provokes, obviously, a person at that cafe to kick somebody out. And I think we're going to see more of it. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Religious freedom, Christian schools, where to from here? Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. John Steenhoff is our special guest. He's the principal lawyer of the Human Rights Law Alliance. For those who are in southeast Queensland, you'll be able to see a presentation by John at the upcoming Church and State Summit on the 26th of February on these critical issues. And for those who are not in the southeast Queensland area, you'll be able to to get a live stream of that all-day event on the 26th of February. Uh, I'll tell you how you can do that, uh, Church and State Summit. If you wanted to Google that, you could find out straight away. We'll take some calls in just a few moments, but let me just touch on something very important, and uh, we're talking about Christian schools, talking about uh, religious freedom. Let's touch on the City Point Christian School in Brisbane and uh, the controversy that developed just before the government passed the lower house with that uh, religious discrimination bill, but then it was withdrawn in the Senate. And there were some sentiments that came out of the issues around that City Point Christian School. You've got a perspective on what happened, John. How do you see it? Neil, this is something uh, that's worth talking about because I will be talking about this at the Church and State Summit. So the City Point Christian School saga is quite interesting because it happened in a context that was not legal or administrative. It was purely in a social setting and in a um, cultural setting where within one week a school had issued an enrolment policy, an enrolment contract for all of its parents, and then after an absolute flurry of protest, subsequently withdrew that contract uh, the next Friday, so less than a week, and the issue was around the teaching of biblically orthodox positions on sexuality and gender, and the way that those had been recorded in the contract. Now, obviously, someone who had received this contract as a parent, or someone with students at the school, had objected to what was a fairly large contract. I mean, this was a 16-page uh, enrollment contract for City Point Christian School. 
And the issue that they targeted were about one or two points in that contract which talked about the school's position in relation to gender issues or identity issues. The school set out its position that in accordance with its uh, doctrines, tenets and beliefs that it holds, that sex is binary, that it is biologically established and that any expression of that sex must be reflective of the biological reality. And in the contract it said when we enrol a student they will be enrolled on the basis of sex and that cannot change. And it also set out some of its principles from the Bible explaining the beliefs that it sincerely holds and which it thinks are the best beliefs to have in their school environment to promote the school's ethos as a Christian school and to provide for the flourishing of all students. So the key criticism that came out was this school wants to kick out the so-called gay child or the trans child. Now, coming from a Christian framework of thinking, I would say what we're talking about here are same-sex attracted students and uh, gender-confused or gender-dysphoric students, uh, which activists were putting forward as a category of student that this school was going to discriminate against. And this got a lot of traction in the media. There were a lot of stories where they tried to unearth former students who now identified as LGBT from the school to uh, reflect on their experience and the supposed harms or discomfort that they felt while at the school. And there was some serious criticism of that employment contract. After some uh, protests outside the school, after statements from the Minister of Education and the Queensland Government, uh, Grace Grace, about how they would be looking at registration and funding for the school, uh, the school reneged on their uh, employment contract. And that's basically a summary of what happened uh, to the school. We'll talk some more about that, uh, because one of the important things that comes with what's happened with the school is that the Prime Minister was triggered uh, on the school's story not to accept that Christian schools could make those sorts of choices. We'll we'll come back to perhaps uh, the Prime Minister's position, but we've been inviting listeners to call 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call or two on the issues we're talking about today. Dean is in Inverell in New South Wales. Hi, Dean. Welcome along. Uh, g'day. How are you going? Very well, Dean. What are your thoughts? Well, look, um, I would uh, definitely say that uh, I agree uh, men uh, and women are born a particular gender. I think um, some people don't feel that way. But uh, I'm thinking uh, if, um, if this school has um, stopped people from going that uh, have difficulty with um, um, accepting the gender they have, that's uh, pretty much... Uh, taking a ca- uh, cancel culture, as you put it, uh, position against these people. Uh, and that's what um, Christians are fighting against. I think, um, you know, if uh, if someone that was a prostitute went to church, um, there wouldn't be someone at the door to say, no, you can't come in. We don't want your type here. And I think the school has gone out of their way to say that never it was ever their intention to cancel anyone. Uh, but, John, your thoughts for Dean? 
Yeah, look, I completely resonate with what Dean is saying. And that's where I was leading was that don't be fooled by the media that surrounded this story. The way that the story was framed was completely misleading. Firstly, there's never been an instance uh, that has been reported and they never even found any one student who was excluded from the school because they had gender confusion or because they had same-sex attraction. Christian schools have been some of the safest and most welcoming places for people who are sorting out and exploring these issues in their lives and are vulnerable in this area. Um, so the idea that the school was wanting to kick students out is entirely the wrong framing of that issue. What's really happening here is that the school is trying to make itself a place where it can be a protection and a refuge from the massive cultural conversation that is hypersexualized, that is completely individualistic, and which actively seeks to encourage uh, LGBTQ activism in schools. The school doesn't want to be a place where its own ethos and values are going to be undermined by people advocating contrary values. The school does want to be a place where people who are experiencing confusion can come and find some refuge away from uh, the intense pressure that they get in society which is preoccupied with these issues and allows children to be themselves in a place where these issues are not put forward as the most important issue. They want to protect these kids. They want to be able to give them biblical solid teaching on it while also being sensitive to their needs. And the interesting thing is, is that there were many, many statements of how the school is pastoral, how the school wants to go do what's in the best interest of the child, etc. in this enrollment contract. And none of the commentators ever picked up on those because there's those far outnumber the statements about the beliefs on sexuality and gender. But if you were just reading the newspaper, you would think that this was a nasty school that wanted to be bigoted. And I think that was quite a deliberate framing of it, which was unfortunate and which played into political motivations. So I think Dean is right with his uncomfortability and with his objections to what the media was saying was happening, but that was not what was happening and is not what happens at Christian schools. Dean, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Let's take another call in the lead-up to news. Yemi is on the Gold Coast in Queensland. Hello, Yemi. Welcome. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for this discussion. I think it's um, very interesting and good to hear um, the view of the lawyer concerning those issues. Um, but basically, I think... Um, yeah, me, I can hear your on sort of hands-free there. Can you pick up your phone? It's just not quite so clear. Okay, can, can you hear me now? Uh, if you pick up your phone, we'll be able to hear you more clearly. Yeah, I'm up with my phone. Can you hear me now? Okay, make your point uh, quickly, Yemi. Okay. I, I think the Christian community needs to understand there's a Christian culture. And if there's a Christian culture, it's basically to earnestly contend for the faith that is handed over to us. If we are contending for faith, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? What does the Bible say about a boy being a boy and a girl being a girl. I think these are the basic things that the church in Australia should basically look into, and not just the church, the families from homes. Yemi, I'll have to cut in because we're about to go to news. You're making some important points there about 
the culture and how you introduce the biblical values. John Steenhoff, let's come back to the issues around the school. And you mentioned that the the, the school, uh, that the religious discrimination bill really was hijacked and the school was very much central to that. I was going to ask you about the Prime Minister and the thing that triggered him uh, on really uh, turning his back on the freedom of schools to set their own ethos uh, by the things that happened through the City Point uh, controversy. Any thoughts around that and the Prime Minister's change of heart? Neil, the, uh, the Prime Minister's change of heart predates the uh, City Point controversy for sure, but it did bring the issue into stark relief and make it a definite uh, sort of uh, hot-button, hot-ticket issue as the religious discrimination bill was being debated and introduced into the House. It uh, really was a, uh, a confluence of timing that was not good for a bill that was already facing significant headwinds. But this has a long history. So what we're talking about here in terms of the changes that were uh, were tried to be introduced to the Religious Discrimination Bill, uh, the way it was hijacked, is the Sex Discrimination Act, which is a completely different piece of legislation. That is a uh, Commonwealth Act that's been around for a long time, and, and it prohibits discrimination on the basis of sex. And in the mid, I think, 2013, attributes of gender identity and uh, sexuality were also introduced. So that is the one which says you can't discriminate against somebody on the basis of these attributes. At the time, what was included was a protection for Christian organizations, Christian churches, Christian uh, charities, and Christian schools to say, we're going to exempt those organizations from this law because they operate in accordance with a Christian ethos. And the problem is, is that when you make that an exemption for Christian schools, it looks like you are giving those schools preferential treatment, that you are saying other people have to obey this law, but you don't have to, which is a very poor way of looking at it, because what is actually happening with that law is that schools and parents who are ultimately the stakeholders in schools have a fundamental human right that is recognised in international law that says parents absolutely have the right to ensure that their children are educated in accordance with their religious beliefs. That is something that is well recognised internationally but is not protected in Australia. So when they pass a law like a Discrimination Act, they need to put in balancing clauses. And unfortunately, this really, really important positive right of parents and Christian schools has been put into the law as an exemption. So when issues of religious freedom come up in laws like they have with the Religious Discrimination Bill, the critics and the the hostile parties who are anti-religious, you know, the aggressive uh, secular um, uh, elites immediately point out, hang on a minute, Christians have been getting a free ride for a long time and not being made to obey these laws. They're discriminating against people in their organizations and in their Christian schools. That needs to change. Now, the Religious Discrimination Bill had nothing to do 
with discrimination against people who are same-sex attracted or experiencing gender dysphoria. Yet somehow, the opponents who had been uh, running a scare campaign against this bill managed to hijack the debate in Parliament so that if you listened to the debate on uh, that last that Wednesday last week, that went right to 4.30 in the morning, you would think that this was a bill that almost exclusively focused on granting additional and unnecessary rights to Christian schools, when in fact it had nothing to do with it and it was completely hijacked, which was very disappointing. John, is there a bigger agenda in play here? Uh, You know, what people have tried to remove, uh, the ability of schools to be able to teach a biblical ethos, which ultimately has some ramification effects that go right into the Christian church, because in some sense, Christian schools are an arm of the Christian church. So uh, it was a, a major issue. Is there a bigger agenda here? Yeah, I think we're seeing a switch, Neil, from progressive uh, from multiculturalism which said we have a society in australia made up of a different voices different beliefs different people with different convictions and in their own private sphere they should be able to largely practice what they believe within their communities unmolested and without interference from the state The laws that were passed before said if we're in the public sphere, we make sure that we don't have discrimination so that in in public, uh, you know, going to a school or where you are undertaking university education or joining a a, a political uh, party, there is no test for religious uh, views, etc. But we're moving away from that towards a progressive secularism which seeks to impose this anti, a very hostile anti-religious uh, viewpoint, not just in the public square, but also within our organisations and institutions, within Christian churches, within Christian schools, to try to water down and hollow out the teachings of the Bible, which have been believed for millennia, which are out of step with whatever the popular ideology of the day is, the fashionable beliefs of the day. And this is not just bad for religious people, it's bad for everybody, because anyone with an opinion that diverges from what's in fashion is going to be at risk. Okay, let's take some calls from listeners. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Shannon in Western Australia. Hi, Shannon. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me on. Um, One of the concerns I have as a parent of um, a child and well, going to be multiple children in a Christian school, is that as long as there are Christian schools that are receiving government funding, they're going to be a level of um, restriction with how far they can be uh, protected, I suppose, from um, you know interference or not being able to speak big biblical truth in, inside the schools. And that's something that I think that constriction was going to get tighter and tighter as time goes on and I'm interested in in your thoughts on that. John, your thoughts on funding for Christian schools? I think it's a definite weak point. He who pays the piper plays the tune and the only real robust protection for Christian schools at the moment is just the sheer volume of students who are in Christian schools in Australia. It's very unique in the Western world 
that so many students are educated within the private sphere rather than the public sphere. Again, it's a question of framing because the way that the opponents talk about this often is that, well, you're getting public money, so you should have to reflect whatever values the public currently thinks are the, are the values of the day. And these days, that's uh, a preoccupation with LGBT issues. But that's not a good way of looking at it because public there is no sort of general body that is the public. What it really is is the government who's taken everybody's taxpayer money and uses it for various uh, purposes that serve the corporate good, including education. And there is no reason why parents who want their children to be educated in a Christian school should not have their tax money given to a Christian school which is teaching in accordance with the ethos of those parents. Again, as I said before, it's a fundamental human right. It's recognized in the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights in Article 18.4. Parents should and are entitled to send their kids to schools that teach them in accordance with their religion. And to the extent that a government is providing funding for all education, it should be providing funding for Christian education. Historically, Christian education has been great for the government because they provide less funding for Christian schools and expect Christian parents to pay extra to top up to be able to educate their children in accordance with their religion. But I think it's a real furphy to suggest that just because the money came from tax on Australian citizens, that somehow that means it can't be given to Christian schools and that somehow strings can be attached to it. But we're definitely going to see an increasing uh, pressure being put on schools in, the, in, the, in relation to funding, and not just funding, but also registration. You see, the government now has a very large role in visiting all schools periodically, depending on which state you're in, two years, three years, five years, and determining whether or not they have met the criteria for registration. And increasingly, that registration is going to be, do you have, are you a safe place uh, for students and do you subscribe to the current values that the state has imposed around these LGBTQ issues? And I think many Christian schools are going to struggle with that. So it's definitely an issue going forward where schools are likely to face some pressure. Shannon, thank you for raising such an important issue. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today. Let's take another call. Graham is in Burnie, Tasmania. Hello, Graham. Hello. You know, we're living in dark times, very dark times, and it's a test for the Christian to pray to God deeply, uh, to lift, because this veil is not going to be lifted from us because... We've gone into confusion, and uh, Scripture does say in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, that the Christian, those who have kept my sayings and my patience, I shall keep you from the hour which is to come, the trouble and the temptation that's going to come upon all mankind on the earth. We're living in those times. Such confusion in our politicians. If they had anorexia, they had children with anorexia, I'll put it that way. They had children of anorexia, all these particular people. Would they be troubled? Would they let these people's children starve to death? Or would they try to erect it, to unfix it, turn it round? 
Graham, good thoughts. Uh, these are some darker times. Uh, John, any thoughts for Graham around the things he's sharing? Indeed. I, I mean, I share Graham's concerns with uh, what we're seeing in the political discourse and the in- increasing uh, uh, polarisation and hostility that's, that, that is happening in Australian society as we get carved into different interest groups and Christians are, are, are facing that increasing hostility and the sort of cloudiness and murkiness of thinking that's taken hold in our institutions around issues of sexuality and identity, which is counter to a biblical understanding. I think there's a few things Christians need to be doing. The first is to recognize that God's in control uh, and that he has all of this in his sovereign hand. And that can be a great comfort for Christians. The second is to look at it in an historical context where uh, if you look over time, the hostility towards Christians is not an unusual thing. We've been unusual in that in the last 100, 200 years, Christians have largely been able to operate in society uh, being respected, uh, being at least left alone and being allowed to operate in accordance with their beliefs. But that's not normal. The normal pattern is, is that Christians are looked down upon, they're excluded. Christians are often uh, maligned and bad and, and, and untrue things are said about them. And we're seeing that increasingly coming to happen. We shouldn't be worried about it. This is normal. The Lord, the Lord tells us to expect persecution. The last thing I think we can do, uh, apart from praying, is to be prepared uh, to give an answer to anyone who comes to talk to us, you know, uh, to, to be able to explain what we believe. There's a great book by Stephen McAlpine, who's a WA pastor, called Being the Bad Guys, where he talks about how we need, as Christians, to understand that we're no longer considered to be the good guys or even the guys who are a bit misguided, but we are the bad guys. And so we need to be disciplined and reading our Bibles and and enabling ourselves to give a positive view of our ethical and moral beliefs from the Bible and be able to say how those give a better pattern for living, a better pattern for living than what's being offered in the world. And the world will see that. I'm confident that even with all that hostility, many people uh, will see. In fact, I talk to many of those people indeed who don't want their children in the public schools where a lot of this confusion is being sown. And that's why they send their children to Christian schools. Uh, they're entirely secular, but they recognize all of these dangers. And we need to be putting ourselves out there as a positive alternative that is seeking the good, not just of our own community, but of our neighbors as well. We love God, we love our neighbors, and we want to start getting those narratives out there. It's hard. The media certainly is aligned against us, but I think it's a necessary thing for us to do. We can't be complacent anymore. So those are my thoughts, Neil. And thank you so much to Graham in Burnie uh, for raising that issue. Uh, still might be time for another call on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. 316 Just come back to the religious discrimination bill, John. Uh, dead in the mm-hmm. water, at least until after the next federal election. That means religious freedom is an election issue. How do you see that playing out? Uh, perhaps how each side of the parliament might even look at taking a position there. Any thoughts? It's interesting, Neil, because it was also an issue at the last election and one which Labor grossly underestimated and which many 
assert was the reason why Scott Morrison was successful and Bill Shorten was unsuccessful. We saw swings against the Labor Party, particularly in the Western Sydney seats, which are full of diverse ethnic and religious communities, who felt that Labor, which was their traditional uh, party for the working class, had largely deserted them and their values in pursuing the inner city apartment dweller uh, Tesla driver vote. Uh, and so I think the parties have been more circumspect this time. Certainly religion is going to be a live election issue, but I'm not sure that it's going to have the same cut through that it did at the last election, which had a unique set of circumstances, particularly around the situation of Israel Folau, where many people of faith were absolutely shocked at the fact that he had lost his job. Uh, just for st stating his beliefs in a Bible verse. So while I think it's an issue, I'm not sure where the parties are going to align on this. I do know that Labor is being very careful to try to engage on these issues, and there's been some positive talk about them of ensuring that they do recognize the importance uh, of their religious constituency. So I don't think it's going to have the same... Uh, prominence as in previous elections. We've had COVID, we've had the economic um, uh, uh, management of that, that's been front and centre. We've got rising tensions in Russia, China. Uh, we've got a lot of those which I think are going to dominate the conversation more than religious freedom. But I would hope that whichever party wins in the upcoming election is going to make a commitment to addressing the big gap currently in the law for protection of people of religion and will really genuinely engage to ensure that Christians are free to be able to practice their religion and believe uh, the teachings of the Bible, but also to uh, practice that ethos in their institutions, in their churches, schools and charities, because that's such a huge part and a contributor to Australian society. Uh, that it needs to have some thoughtful protection given to it. Well, these issues aren't going away. They'll be prominent in the lead-up to the upcoming federal election. And uh, those sorts of gatherings that you are preparing to be a part of, the Church and State Summit, uh, they'll spend all day with some uh, wonderful uh, key speakers uh, throughout the day discussing issues similar to this. In fact, John, you're one of the speakers at the upcoming Church and State Summit, 26th of February. You'll be addressing some of these things along these lines. Yes, absolutely. I'll be talking about the City Point Christian School uh, saga, which we talked about a little earlier in our conversation, and some of the implications for what it means for our place as Christians within an increasingly secular Australian society and the move we're seeing away from a live and let live uh, sort of um, ethic towards uh, an imposition of progressive secularism. But there's plenty of other speakers who will be there. I believe it's being held in Bow Desert, which is just out of Brisbane at Harvest Point Church on Saturday, 26th of February. It always draws a diverse crowd and the speakers are very diverse. And there's uh, politicians, there's pastors, there's thought leaders, there's people like myself speaking on legal things. It's going to be a great day and people should, if they're around and available, should get out to it. It'll be very encouraging. 
And, of course, I've been supportive of the summit over all these years now. And so for listeners who are in southeast Queensland, northern New South Wales, in fact, with lots of travel restrictions having been lifted, lots of people will be making their way to Queensland to be a part of that in Bow Desert, just south of Brisbane. Uh, but for those who can't get to southeast Queensland to be there in person, uh, you're also able to access a live stream. And you can find out about that on the church and state website website churchandstate.com.au just to, to mention the human rights law alliance website for people who want to connect with you john hrla.org.au and you mentioned another website australiawatch.com.au and that's where people can look at the cases that have come across your desk cases that you have engaged with of people who have felt the brunt of this cancel culture that we're now living in and no doubt uh, people can register their own stories there is is that the way that it works or you can connect with uh, human rights law alliance if you feel like you need to talk someone about legal issues Uh, how does all that work Sure. So anyone who has an issue where they're facing hostility for their faith should contact us at hrla.org.au. There's a contact form that you can fill out and we're very uh, swift at getting back to you. Oftentimes we'll arrange a Zoom conference or a a triage phone call with you immediately because oftentimes these issues are urgent. It's best to get in contact with us early rather than late. We're here to help serve the church and people in it, help them to be able to keep their freedom to be able to express their faith positively. We know that religious discrimination bills and legal cases are not going to change society. The only thing that changes society is the gospel. So we know that our work is merely trying to help everyday Australian Christians to be able to continue to preach and share all aspects of the truth of the gospel. And so our role is secondary. The primary role of Christians is to be sharing that gospel with the world and we just want to make sure that they can do that without facing uh, persecution uh, or opposition. Well John Steenhoff, great wisdom in our conversation today. I want to thank you so much and uh, honour to you and your team, the good work that you're doing. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thanks Neil, pleasure to be with you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.